Good evening. You're on equal footing with Dove Tuzman. Welcome. We are in an election uh, crisis. Everybody's feeling doubt and uncertainty. Wherever you sit on the political spectrum, this is a time of great anxiety. Tonight, we're going to be addressing that head on. I want to start before I introduce our guest for this evening. I'm very honored to have him with us here in the studio. I want to start by setting the table a little bit based on what happened in last week's show. Last week, we tackled the issue of David in the Hebrew Bible and what uh, Christians would call the Old Testament. All the Abrahamic traditions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam all honored Dovid Amelech, the King David, from the book of Samuel, the books of Samuel, I should say, the prophet Samuel. And I didn't realize, the last week's show was addressing the problem of David. Do our political leaders need to be moral leaders? And what I meant by the problem of David was this issue that I've struggled with since I was a kid, really, and the first time I heard the story of David from the Bible, in that he was a patriarch of, of the Abrahamic faiths. Uh, he was a, uh, a righteous uh, person. He was a, you know, from, from David comes the line of the Messiah. It's believed in, in all the Abrahamic faiths, to my understanding. And yet, just looking at the text of the Bible, of the books of Samuel, there's tremendous uh, struggle in in King David's life, and and he is confronting all sorts of uh, of his own what appear to be on the face of it moral failings. So the problem set forth is: how, Can someone be a great leader? Can someone transform generationally a people in a positive way and also be deeply flawed? And I didn't realize in putting forth that topic, and we were we were really lucky last week to have that that uh, be that topic be discussed by people from different faiths. We had Reverend David Taylor on, who's an Episcopalian Reverend who had worked with Bishop Desmond Tutu in South Africa. We had Rabbi Joseph Isaac Korfan, who's a Chabad emissary in uh, Florida. We had Daigi Thomas Stab on, who's a Zen Buddhist practitioner. And we were, we were getting at this issue of morality and politics and sp- the spiritual perspective in the political realm. But I didn't realize that I had hit this third rail. Even by picking the subject, for many of you as listeners, particularly Jewish listeners and particularly Orthodox Jewish listeners, this is not a Jewish show. To be clear, this is a show for any, anybody is welcome. All perspectives are welcome. I happen to be Jewish. Jewish and consider myself kind of on the observant side of the spectrum, uh, but you know anybody is, is is welcome. I didn't realize I was really ignorant to the fact that even by suggesting that King David in Hebrew Dovid Amelech, uh, the, the the King David, had sinned or transgressed, that that itself was a controversial statement. And wow, did it generate a response. (laughs) I got, I would describe as some hate texts and hate emails suggesting that I shouldn't be on the air. I had had one person question whether I was really Jewish. Uh, It was a fascinating, humbling experience. And so instead of kind of uh, putting that under the rug and 
uh, just, you know, moving on, pretending it didn't happen, or even getting on the air and apologizing. I wanted to actually dive into that because I think that it is absolutely apropos to our struggle right now as a nation. Uh, even globally, I think we're, we're, de- we're dealing with this in the context of the pandemic. What's What's the right path in our leaders? In our leaders, we're electing a leader right now in the United States of America. Well, we have, we've all voted. Now we're in the process of of that selection becoming final. And do we need our leaders to to be moral? To what extent do we should we and do we venerate them? Is is that even an appropriate uh, path of, of of thought and reflection? So we're gonna we're gonna dive into this this issue, and I am. Blessed today, I think we're we're all uh, we have a special opportunity to hear from Rabbi Simon Jacobson, who's here in the studio with me. Rabbi Jacobson, your hero of mine, your your book. I'm going to introduce the audience for those who may not know who you are uh, to your, to your biography in a moment. But your your book is is by my uh, by my bedside, and it's a real honor to to have you here tonight. Thank you so much for having me. And I commend you for the program. I also commend you for your transparency to addressing a controversial issue, and uh, which, of course, is apropos to our time. Plenty of controversy in the air. One of the things I admire about you, Rabbi Simon Jacobson, is that you're, you don't shy away from difficult issues, uh, issues that people may hold very deep-seated different perspectives on. I was, had an opportunity to listen to your talk last night uh, called What Now? And really right that fresh post-election uh, uh, zeitgeist that you were addressing. Let me introduce you for a moment to our audience. Uh, sure. I, I'd be surprised if that many people don't know who you are. You're one of the premier Jewish philosophers in, in the world, I, in, and you've been on so many media outlets. It's, it's really a, an honor to have you here. Uh, you were born in, in Brooklyn, and you are here. We're, our studio here is in Brooklyn, and you studied at the Lubavitcher Yeshiva and the Rabbinical College of America. You did your postgraduate studies at the Central Tomchei Tmimim. And while you were still studying, as I understand it, uh, you began memorizing and transcribing with a team the talks of, uh, of Rabbi Menachem Melden Schneerson, who is the seventh, was the seventh in blessed memory, Chabad Rebbe, and he was the leader of the global Lubavitcher movement. And you led a team of scholars, in fact, that, that published more than 1,000 of Rebbe Schneerson's talks. And many of us wouldn't have access to that knowledge in, in, in real accessible layman's language, if not for that, for those transcriptions. And your best-selling, global best-selling book, Toward a Meaningful Life, has sold well over 300,000 copies. It's been translated into 15 languages. You head the Meaningful Life Center. You're the publisher of Algemeiner. It's a Yiddish-English weekly. And your writings, Rabbi Jacobson, are syndicated around the world. Now, that's quite a bio. (laughs) I want to give our listeners uh, the number because, as you know, Rabbi Jacobson, we, on equal footing, we make the presumption that it's not just us in the studio that are bringing uh, perspective to the conversation and on equal footing in the dialogue and debate, but so are all of our listeners, many of whom are listening on the radio and others online. So we offer participation uh, real time here. It's, a, it's a, a special opportunity to do so here with Rabbi Simon Jacobson. Our number in the studio is 718-303-9090. That's 718 
303-903-9090. And if you're shy about being on the radio or you'd like to remain anonymous, that's fine too. You can call in, don't have to say your name, but you can also text a question if you'd like or a comment to 917-428-4062. That's 917-428-4062. I ask you if you don't mind to send your messages with some loving kindness. <laughs> Last week I got bombarded. Maybe I'll even read one of the the notes I got in the course of the show. Okay, Rabbi Jacobson, I don't want to, you know, here recount the books of Samuel. But for those who may not be as familiar with the story of David, maybe you could summarize for us what his life was about, the, the ups and the downs. Well, King David was... Uh even though King Saul was actually the f- formerly the first, uh, technically the first king in Israel. And I'll just give a little background so we'll understand what a king means. In the Torah, we find that there's actually an obligation, a mitzvah, to appoint a king, which is a leader. And um, some even say Moses was considered a king. Some disagree. The first king that was appointed by Samuel the prophet was King Saul. But he was not the formal first king because kingship was given to the tribe of Judah. So the formal first king was King David. His life was a a very challenging life because on one hand, remember, the Jewish people had many enemies, so he had to fight many battles. So in a sense, he became a warrior, though he was personally a shepherd and a very mild-mannered individual, but he had to fight uh, many defensive battles. And he essentially prepared the ground where his son, King Solomon, would be able to build the first holy temple in Jerusalem. But it was King David that bought the property and fought the wars. And as a matter of fact, we're even told, God says, that as as, uh, as much as you've, you've accomplished, I don't want you to build the temple because you have blood on your hands. Not in any way, God forbid, in any negative way, mm-hmm. but because of the battles. And I want your son, who's a man of peace, I want him to actually build the temple. Mm-hmm. But it was King David's empowerment. Now, there are many different stories about King David. I mean, I understand I wasn't part of the discussion last week, so I don't take any blame. <laughs> I'm here to help, uh, uh, I don't want to call it damage control, but I've been helped to clarify matters as you asked me to come on. So yeah, you help, have... And, and help me understand, because I, I really did, had no idea how sensitive this topic was. Uh, absolutely. But I think it's important just to state, and I'm assuming from what I read and what you shared with me, that the story about his own behavior with, um, with Batsheva, a woman who was a wife of another individual who he took it to his wife, and he had her husband go to the front lines, is obviously quite controversial and seen by many as an expression of some of King David's uh, shortcomings, shall we say. Rabbi, if you don't mind, just to pause there, because some of our listeners may not be familiar with the story. If I'm not mistaken, King David, just based on the the text, uh, sees Bathsheba uh, bathing, right, on on a rooftop, and she's married to Uriah who's, I guess, a, a soldier and a very you know, well-regarded soldier in, in King David's army. And King David is, is smitten by her and falls in love with her and ultimately uh, impregnates her. Uh, and, and then, if, 
according to the text, at least my, my reading of it, without the, 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 the context and knowledge that you have, it, it looks like not only does King David try to cover up what he's done by kind of asking Uriah, her husband, to come to the back to the palace, so it won't be it wouldn't be clear whose child it, it, it would be, but also effectively having him killed. Uh, and I don't want to be you know say anything that's that's out of line. It's just based on my understanding of the, of the text. Is that is that a, a that is the, that's a, the actual reading. When you read the text in the in the verses in the in the in the Tanakh in the Bible, but here's the thing, um, and I'll just put it in context. I think it's critical to know how traditional Jews read the Bible. They don't see the Bible as a text that you can just read on its own. You must have interpretation. There's actually Maimonides puts it this way: Torah bepirusha nitna. I'll explain that the Torah, which means the written law. And the written narrative was accompanied with oral interpretation. And if you don't have that oral interpretation, oral interpretation it's like trying to read uh, chemical uh, formulas and without explanation. Mm-hmm. It could be out of context. So it's not just King David. You'll find throughout the Bible in general many controversial stories. You may have heard the story of Judah and Tamar. Right. The stories of the brothers of Joseph selling him into slavery. Mm-hmm. Cain killing Abel. I mean, you go through the Torah, it's a pretty, uh, you can say it's a pretty bloody book in many ways. Even the Torah portion of this week, Vayera, the, the, the Parsha, or the portion of the, the Bible that, that we focus on as, as, as in the Jewish faith each week, uh, refers to something that is, as a child, the first time you're reading it, is extremely difficult to understand, you know, God's asking Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, right. the, this ultimate test. So, I'll just, I want to put it in context, which I think will help you and help the listeners, because I think this is vital. It's not just a story with David. You have to look at the whole story. And because if you read it like you would read any uh, history book, or any book for that matter, face value, it sounds, okay, these human beings were flawed like all of us, huh? mm-hmm. and they had their moments of weakness, and they did things that were very inappropriate. Yet they also have uh, inspiring moments. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. The traditional Jewish way of reading the Bible is not that way. It's seen, the Torah and the Bible is seen as a divine book. It's not a history book. It's not man-made. Mm-hmm. And that axiom is vital. No one, not, you don't have to agree with that axiom, but you need to know there is such an axiom, which thousands, and for years, traditionally, this is how Jews read the Torah. They would not dance with the Torah and worship the Torah as God's book if they didn't feel that way. If they felt it was a book written by men about men, then with that in, with that in mind, you have to keep in mind that the Bible, the Talmud says that anyone that says that David erred or sinned is making a mistake. There's a Talmud that says. So I can assure you that your audience, when they heard the way it was described literally, said they, 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 they didn't even know the Talmud. Right. Now, we still have to understand the Talmud. How does the Talmud read the Torah? Now, it's confusing there to someone without your background and, and giving that context is King David himself in the Hebrew text talks about his own sins and is abject before the God of his understanding. And so how do you how do you reconcile that? If, 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 exactly. if, if King David himself is saying he's sinned and he's transgressed against God, how, how do how do we then arrive at the conclusion that he that he hasn't? And yet, at the same time, the Talmud states what I've said. So, 
you know, this would really require hours of discussion, as any serious scholarship uh, uh, needs. So I'll just try to sum it up very briefly. Um, and I speak as a person who grew up in the traditional Torah world, the yeshiva world, studying it all. It's very clear that if you see the Torah as a, a divine blueprint for life, meaning that it really begins as a spiritual book, not a book of stories and not a book of history, which explains a very odd fact. For example, you could have 75 years of Abraham's history we don't even read about. Right. And it seems like very inconsistent if it was a story of like a diary or a journal of narratives. So the truth is that without the spiritual dimension to Torah, the Torah can be rendered as something that is either inaccessible mm -hmm. or archaic. There's a reason that many people of the Enlightenment rejected the Torah and the Bible as some primitive book. And I could speak as a both a scholar and someone who was also a skeptic. It was when I understood the so-called spiritual narrative that the truth is the Torah is telling us the story of our lives, but it tells it through characters and personalities that actually lived. Mm -hmm. And even the stories that seem to be very uh, disturbing also are part of the human narrative. Then you understand that King David wasn't just another regular guy that happened to see a beautiful woman bathing and he, and, and he was uh, struck overtaken and, by right, his, and seduced his desires, by it. Right? Then there's some deeper aspects of it. Not trying to whitewash it. The Torah is very blunt. Right. It doesn't, you see, would you, would you write a book about your own heroes and include a story like that? Never. Right. Who would include such a story? And remember, the book was documented and taught by the Jews. So why would, you know if it was written by anti-Semites, I could see you know they found all these uh, this stuff and the, the, so the Expose. mere fact that the Torah is completely transparent in that sense tells you there's something more going on. And just I, I'm trying to capture it in a way that's justified in a, in a show like this. So in, in essence, the story of of King David is discussed at length of what really was going on here. And in general, what is even that concept by a tzaddik, by a righteous person like King David? What is sexuality in, in the first place? Right. And, and we know that it's not just simply he saw a woman and he, was, and, he, and he lusted over her. So you have to say, as some of the spiritual commentaries will explain, that there was a deeper connection. There's and, something else going on. Right, something else. Just like, for example, the daughters of Lot in the, in the story, this week's chapter as well, uh -huh. that after Sodom is destroyed, they, the daughters of Lot seduce their father. And out of their offspring come actually the ancestry of King David. Right. So Mashiach, they say, is born right. essentially from illicit relations. Right. Yeah, because so, for those listeners who may not be aware what that reference means, the messianic line in all of the Abrahamic faiths comes from and through King David. Right. Same thing in the story I mentioned, Judah and Tamar, which is very similar actually to King David. Judah tries to cover up. He's right. about to kill her right. for performing, uh, for being a prostitute. Right. And then it finds out that he's the one that that was intimate with her. Right. So, as I said, it's hard to capture in just minutes, but just suffice it to say that there's a deeper story, a deeper narrative going on. Right. And it's not being defensive or trying to be uh, cute. And once you understand that narrative, you realize these are very high-level people. And the experiences they had were actually profound spiritual experiences. And yet, remember, King David, as he looks at himself, of course— He's a humble man. He's not going to justify his behavior. 
Yeah, he's, so. in fact, we spoke about that last week about what I grew up learning in Hebrew school was, in fact, that his exaltation, his greatness resided in large degree in his humility, right. in his repentance. We're going to tie this to the current zeitgeist, what's going on right now in at the crucible of morality and politics in our second segment in the show. We're going to take a break in a moment, Rabbi. And I'd like to, uh, if, if I can, leave you with a, a pretty difficult question so you have a, the break to, to think about it. And again, our number in the studio to participate in this conversation with Rabbi Simon Jacobson, who's one of the world's premier Jewish philosophers, is 718-303-9090. Rabbi Jacobson, without saying the name of the person, we have a mutual friend who connected us for tonight's show, for which I'm grateful. And I was somewhat distraught after last week's show because I thought it was a terrific conversation. I thought it was wonderful to have a reverend and a rabbi and a, a Zen Buddhist practitioner. I wish we could have had an imam from Islam on as well and just talking about, about these things from different perspectives. So I thought it was, I thought it was a, a great theological slash political discussion. I didn't realize the hornet's nest that I had actually inadvertently opened. And our mutual friend that night said to me, Dover, maybe it was the next day, Dover, what you need to understand is that part of the reason why people get so upset when you talk about patriarchs or figures in the Bible that are seen as absolutely righteous and you're talking directly about transgressions, sins, moral failings, etc., is not so much that they're upset about the particular figure who, of course, none of us have, 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 have met or have a direct relationship with. It's because they're connecting it into their daily, daily life and the way they see other figures in their lives and community. And that, that pale of imperfection effectively that that pale of imperfection effectively uh sullies that image for them of a leader that they may be looking up to right now in the 21st century in their in their lives and in particular in certain communities that's quite threatening i know that 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 itself may be a controversial question but i want to get back to that right after the break we are here with rabbi simon jacobson you're on equal footing well, your faith was strong, but you needed proof You saw her bathing on the roof Her beauty and the moonlight overthrew Are you a small or medium-sized business owner who wants to provide a low-cost, effective health benefit for your employees? Or a school administrator who wants to ensure all of your students have the proper vaccines? Or maybe you're a parent trying to keep your family's medical records up to date. Well, welcome to DocuVax, an easy-to-use digital locker accessible on your laptop or smartphone that allows you to safely store and validate basic medical information, including immunization records, lab results, even x-rays and MRIs. Gone are the days of losing time tracking down old medical records or sharing test results with a new healthcare provider. The DocuVax system covers over 60 different important elements of your medical profile, from flu and tetanus vaccines to colorectal and breast cancer screenings to blood type and allergies. To sign up, go to www.docuvax.com or call 833-859-1933. For as little as $9.99 per month, DocuVax subscribers can privately access all of their medical records from a secure HIPAA-compliant digital storage facility. And as a DocuVax subscriber, medical professionals are on call for you 24 hours a day to validate your vaccine records, 
blood tests, or anything else in your locker. DocuVax medical data is never accessible unless the individual subscriber wants to share it privately using a proprietary QR code-based system that keeps data secure at all times. So put an end to worrying if you or someone you care about is up to date on a particular vaccine, blood test, or an important preventative screening. Take control of your medical file and sign up at DocuVax.com. And if your organization is interested in learning about becoming a DocuVax sponsor to get group discounts, please call 833-859-1933. That's 833-859-1933. Operators are standing by. All right. You are back on Equal Footing. I'm Dove Tuzman. We're here with Rabbi Simon Jacobson. We're talking about the problem of David. This is part two from last week's show. And apropos to the political moment, do our political leaders need to be moral leaders? Rabbi Jacobson, I kind of dropped a little bit of a bomb right before the break and asking you whether are people threatened by the concept of David sinning or transgressing because it threatens current their view of current day religious leaders, as our mutual friend was implying to me, or, or do you disagree? I actually disagree. Um, I think it's important. First of all, I can't speak for all your listeners and each of their issues, but I'll speak for my for my perspective, which I believe represents the traditional Jewish perspective. Look, let's be honest. There are some people, as soon as you criticize any leader, right. they just can't handle it because either because they're simply innocent and maybe naive and they just want things don't rock the boat. But I'm not addressing that. Okay. Um, because the fact of the matter is the Torah, as I said, the Bible is filled with controversial stories. Almost, I don't, I actually, I, don't, I, don't, I can't even recall one story that isn't controversial. Right. You know? um, yeah, Adam and Eve. Yeah. <laughs> it's controversial. So the reason I will say is that I believe that if any listeners of yours or any listeners would be offended by, th- by using David, even the title, The Problem with David, uh, and, and especially using that as some type of example for uh, a moral paragon of our times, the major offense would be because for them the Torah is sacred and the characters and personalities in the Torah are Sacred. They're great, high spiritual level people, and as such, are above sin in the way we understand sin. And to make even a comparison of King David to anybody, even to their rabbis, is sacrilegious. Interesting. So let me, let's start start with that. So as as a host, I will just tell you, as someone who's spoken, I've been around. I'm a speaker. I, I did my own radio show. You always want to be sensitive to your listeners, not whether you agree with them or not, because they have certain sacred values. And I think if you're going to bring any King David or anyone and try to humanize them, mm-hmm. so regardless whether you understand their position, you need to know that they will be offended. Now, you may say, I don't care if they're offended, and I want to say what I want to say, my take on it. But you know, I'm recognizing you, you are sensitive, and also you're open to hear, one second, maybe I'm missing something. You're not like... You're not claiming that you know the whole Torah and you know everything about King David and I disagree, you know. Yeah, or even a tiny fraction. And you're not looking <laughs> to advocate the position here. You really, your, your intention was, can we learn lessons from King David for our times about our political leaders right. with their flaws? So I, 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 so I will say this in defense to, uh, to you, if anyone listening, I don't think your intentions were in any way malicious or did you, you mean it and I really believe that. Or I don't think you'd have me here. 
But I will say what you what, what you missed was that you don't realize how sensitive. As soon as you say it, say Moses, okay, Moses, the great Moses, and you can also find stories with him that may be a little dubious. You just don't speak that way to an audience that has uh, that sees these people as tzaddikim, as right. men of God, men yes. or women of God. Yes. Right. Just now. There's a, now is another discussion. Like, you know, if you invited me and said, let's talk about King David or others, how do you explain that? You're talking to them about people of God. How did they even fall that way? That's a legitimate discussion, but it didn't happen that way. You assume that you can just compare them to our time and so on. So I need you to understand that. And I think the listeners hearing this will appreciate that. And I think I, everything is for the good. I think this clarity is really helpful. It's helpful to me, and and I appreciate in particular, Rabbi, your constant focus on perspective. In this moment, the perspective of how we're relating to the listeners and being sensitive. In your talks, I I read an interview, uh, or rather I read an article of yours called Interview with Francis, which I loved, which is about Hurricane Francis. And I've heard you talk about even how tectonic plates and volcanic eruptions and other natural quote-unquote disasters in our world can be seen in a different way as, an ad- as adjustments in the world as points of release of tension and energy that ultimately even in the moment they can be very painful and scary and, and doubt-ridden right. can bring us to a higher uh, plane or, or a better place. Okay. So, to, Sorry. So let me just throw – I want to throw two things. I know we want to move to the – current situation elections political so tectonic plates <laughs> yeah yeah exactly but i want to, i just want to add i think it's important you know r- rule number one in communication is not what the speaker intended to say it's how the listener hears it uh-huh. and i'll take a f- step further it's not what you say it's how you say it you could say the same controversial idea say it the right way people can hear it you know like one person once said i don't care how much you know until i know how much you care the sensitivity to a listener is the key to everything. And if the listener happens to be someone that, let's say, you, you see as narrow-minded and, and limited, but that's the listener. You need to respect that. Now, uh, what I tried to address earlier, so the, how do we explain the story of King David? But I really believe that should be reserved to another discussion to really do justice to it, and I'm happy to come back and talk about it. So I just said some words about it, but I, I wanted to just distinguish between the two elements here. So I would... Let's put it this way. I think we can take lessons, political lessons, from King David. But I'd stay away from overhumanizing him because of the reasons I mentioned. But I would rather look at it like, okay, what can we learn from him? How do you deal with adversity? He had a lot of adversity. His own child rebelled against him. He had right. to deal with enemies. Tremendous, you know, lessons, tremendous suffering you know, that he went How through. did he maintain humility, though he was such a great leader? I mean, there's plenty to learn from, but I would just stay away from the, the overhumanizing is going to offend any of the religious listeners. I can tell you that right now, um, except those that uh, don't uh, embrace that sanctity. Yeah. But there's a sanctity to Torah. That's why Jews are here today, because they believe that the Torah withstood all challenges. And that's why it, it's perpetuated because of its sanctity. And that's why you have to be very careful. You're tampering with the sanctity of their beliefs. And then, I, and I totally agree that it's not about being closed-minded and saying we can't ask questions. I'm completely open to um, to let's talk about King David. But I, th- I don't know if you want to go. Th- I think we covered it, unless you you're the. Well, let's I follow to, your lead. Yeah, let's. I appreciate your guidance here, and let's put to the test something you just said, Rabbi, around saying something that may be controversial, but 
saying it in such a way that it can be heard. So let, let, let's try that here because I'm about to maybe say something that some of our listeners will, will find controversial. I was talking about your perspective and you're, you're, you're putting importance on perspective when we look at current events. And I was listening to a talk that you gave uh, last night, I believe. And it was, well, I listened to it on replay, but I think you gave it last night called What Now? And you were talking about like, what now after the elections? How do we see things from a spiritual perspective? How do we stay grounded? How do we not be kind of moved by the circumstances of the moment too much? And, and you talked about writing down like three things that keep us kind of centered and grounded in our value system. In that talk, you made reference to a comparison of like the 20th century and the inauguration, the first 20 years of the, tw- of the 21st century. And you talked about how in the in the beginning of the 20th century, particularly the first half of the 20th century, we had the fall of the Ottoman Empire, we had World War I, with the Great Depression, we had World War II, there are other things we had there, the Bolshevik Revolution, the, the Spanish flu epidemic, and so forth. And that in the beginning of the 21st century, we have, we're also going through disruption. You talked about the disruption comes from the internet and how that's disrupted the way we consume media and the way we're connected and the way it's disrupted even economic systems. And I was, I loved you're putting things in perspective, but I respectfully found myself wanting, wait, waiting for the show and wanting to challenge an aspect of that and not in a challenge your positioning of the issue, but rather challenge our obsession with the moment. Because in the Spanish flu, at the time of the Spanish flu, knocking 1918 to 1920, already there had been tens of millions of lives lost in the period coming right up to that in the context of World War One, There were 1.8 billion people on the planet, depending on which study you believe, between 25 and 70 million people uh, died as a direct result of the Spanish flu. I mean, you're talking about, you know, 2 to 3 to 4 percent of the global population. Right. In World War II, I mean, Great Depression, you had extraordinary disease and famine. You also had tens of millions of hunger-related deaths. In World War II, there were 75 to 90 million lives lost, and, and there were only about 2.5 billion people on the planet at that point. We have 8 billion people on the planet right now. And the death toll from COVID-19, which has been an uh, extraordinary tragedy, but in context has been... Uh, what 1.3 1.4 million lives which is about two one hundredths of one percent of the global population there have been various flus by the way the hong kong flu h1n1 others in the interstice between world war ii and now various uh, uh pandemics that have taken more lives in fact than than covid19 or an or a similar amount so we're going to get to the elections in the same, a similar point but Aren't things in a certain sense, Rabbi, relatively okay? And I don't – every life is a universe. Every life is precious. But do you feel right now that we are kind of – is too much of a – we're making too much of the moment. Past generations have suffered so much more than we're suffering now. Do we need to kind of, kind of shake ourselves and get better perspective? Okay, great question, and I I don't even see it as challenging. I think it's an important question to address. Let me tell you my take on it. Um, If you talk purely statistically and scientifically and remove the emotions involved, um, yes, you may be right. But remember, there are emotions involved. When people are living through something, 
for them, that's maybe the worst. Even though, if you compare it, look look at the Jewish people. We lost a third of our people in the Holocaust. Today, we live in relative freedom. So, the biggest complaint you may have is that you, uh, you know, you can't go to a restaurant. You know, right? So, of course, in that context. But I, I, I have to begin because I. Uh, I've come to learn through my life experience that the mind is overrated in a way and things work from the heart. So from the heart, you have to recognize, correct, that the bird's eye view has a very different picture, which is what I discussed somewhat. But on the ground, on the ground, and especially with the media hype that hypes everything up, and it's all about instant gratification. You know, the news is always changing, so everything is amplified. And people... I mean, you can even argue that the COVID and, and, and the panic was used for political purposes as well. So my point is, we're being manipulated. Cer- certainly people have taken advantage on all sides of the pandemic yeah, to make correct. political points, for sure. So the point I'm making here is, correct, in pure statistics, it's you can't even compare. You know, I think it was Steven Pinker, uh, Pinker that wrote a book, uh, The Statistics Showing the Decline of War and Violence. But nevertheless, when you see looting on Fifth Avenue... You think it's the apocalypse. Hmm. So I agree with you. Context has to be provided in order for us to be able to really understand the big picture. But I would also begin with a disclaimer. We need to acknowledge that people are living in the moment. Most people don't think of the big picture. The small picture right now seems d- disruptive. They think People think today is the biggest disruption in history. Of course it's not. Not, you not even close. Not even close. But relatively speaking, when you've been comfortable for, let's say, 60 years since World War II, and then suddenly you can't go to a restaurant and you can't travel wherever you want to go and summer plans are disrupted. So on a human psychological level, you know, that can cause people to be be anxious and depressed and so on. But I totally agree. Of course you need the context. I just think you need to balance the two or else people, again, back to communication, you'll lose them. If you say forget it, don't don't think about the disruption for the moment. I think you need to lead people from their momentary pain and say we acknowledge it, empathy, but let's step back and look at the bird's eye view of it. That right. would be my way of framing it. And in in the next segment, we're going to take a break. In a minute, we're going to talk about context and the bird's eye view in today's political zeitgeist. We're also going to take a caller right after the break. You can participate in the conversation here with Rabbi Simon Jacobson on Equal Footing. Rabbi Jacobson is the author of the global bestseller, Toward a Meaningful Life, and he's considered one of the premier Jewish philosophers and thinkers in the world. It's a great honor to have him here in the studio with us. We'll be right back on Equal Footing. The number to call is 718-303-9090. I'm Dove Tuzman. Tonight's Equal Footing program is brought to you by Mechanical Art Capital. Mechanical Art Capital offers financing to watch collectors and watch dealers from anywhere in the world. Unlock the cash value of your watch collection or watch inventory through Mechanical Art Capital's guaranteed buyback contracts. For more information, call 833-209-0972. Again, that's 833-209-0972. 0972 operators are standing by 
You're back on Equal Footing. I'm Dove Tuzman. We're here with Rabbi Simon Jacobson. Rabbi, we're going to take a call from line two. You're on the air. Good evening. This is Stan. How are you? Good evening. Stan, good evening. Good to hear your voice. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, first of all, Dove, uh, I've listened to you. I've called you numerous times. You have, uh, and I've listened to the show. I was part of the show last week asking a question. You have absolutely nothing to apologize for. You have n- absolutely no, as far as I'm going, everything you said was absolutely correct and absolutely needed to be said. And obviously, sometimes truth hurts. Truth sometimes doesn't want to be hurt. Stan, let me and ask when you, you when you when, you, when you love your heroes and your biblical heroes, and you put them on pedestals, and they're written a certain way in history. And then we find out some realities of them. It hurts. Which is the part that you felt was truthful and hurt? Well, I, I think everything. To be honest, uh, I think what you said needed. No, in in overall conversation, I thought first of all, if there was a problem with the people that you had on, uh, you you open up the mic to different points of view and religious points of view. That's what you do. That's why you have the people. There's nothing wrong with that. Obviously, many of the listeners who call into the program are of the Orthodox faith and see it a different way and are hurt by many of the things that are said by these people and in instances by you. I didn't find that at all. It was insightful, learning, but reality is a hard thing to accept when you live in a specific world. And when you have to open the window to get new air in, sometimes you don't want to open the window. Stan, I appreciate the sentiment, and I and I want to depersonalize it for me because it's... Oh, no, you, you, you said uh, the reaction to your program last night, obviously, last week, was somewhat, I don't know, hurtful, maybe, to you, or insulting. But you I, I, look, you learn from the situation, but I don't think you have anything to apologize for. I think you're trying to be insightful and to teach. That's why this program exists, to learn and to teach and to understand. So as, as far as I'm concerned, look, I'll argue with you when I have to. But <laughs> <laughs> I know you will. I don't but know. I, I, overall, there's nothing to apologize for. You had a very insightful show last week. And I really don't want to ask the rabbi a question, I did, but I wanted to let you know that as far as I'm concerned, I learned a lot about David. And David is a flawed individual. Okay, he is flawed, but he is a great individual, or we wouldn't be talking about him today. That's the bottom line. Stan, I appreciate you calling in, and I'm going to actually uh, kind of take that and ask you a question out of it, Rabbi. Of course, there was a part of me that 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 felt like Stan felt, and that it felt like I was you know, just trying to put the issues out on the table. But do you think when you do inadvertently offend in the way that we were discussing. And it's not just in the Jewish faith, and our listeners you know, are not just Jewish, so it could have been, it, it, next week it might be with respect to, to, to something that hits a third rail in the, in the, in the Christian ideology or, or, any, or any other faith. Do you think it is right to apologize, to repent, or is, is the approach 
different. Is it appropriate as as a Jew to to repent when saying something that inadvertently offended? I I'll, I'll just talk from my own experience. I don't know if I can respond to that in a legal halachic way. You know, like what Jewish what law the Jewish law states. But on a personal note, being uh, a broadcaster, and you have responsibility because many people listen to you, I, which I share a platform like that as well, I apologize all the time if I said something that I may have been inadvertent, not because I feel defensive and weak and I need to please anybody. I just feel it's, it's part of the honest process of growth. It's like, had you known what you know now, you may have said it differently. You know, I don't agree. Stan is entitled to his opinion, as everyone is. But I think it's important to realize I see this as an opportunity to let's go ahead. Okay, let's explain King David from a, let's call it a more orthodox perspective, even though I don't like the word orthodox. That's how I see it. So I think what you did here in the show, even though I don't think you need to state I apologize, you have brought... You brought me onto the show to talk about it because you realized it did offend some people. Let's get more clarity. Right, that which, to me is, which the is key. not the intent. And yeah, I, that to me is the key to yeah. it all. And I think there's always going to be some people don't like what you say, and that's that. And they'll hang up on you, and they'll never listen to you right. again. But there are going to be plenty of people who will listen and say, ah, interesting. He, 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 he continued on the topic and brought more clarity. I believe that some of what we spoke about is going to help people to pursue, and let's find out, what is this story with King David anyway? You know, um, The reason, I, what I would just say to an individual like Stan, with all respect, though I respect where he's coming from, he, I, he clearly does not have necessarily the perspective, which is a far more broader spiritual perspective. It's not closed-mindedness that you don't want to hear that King David may be flawed. It's understanding what Judaism really is. Now, what, what, why did intelligent Jews embrace this book as being sacred? Every letter is sacred. You kiss the Torah. Many people have no clue what that is. So mm-hmm. to me, this is an opportunity to revisit a topic that many don't understand. Why is Torah relevant? Why do we even talk about King David? Why, why King David? I mean, there's so many other individuals. So we have a question that was a question slash comment that was texted in by Zalman, uh, who asks, who makes the point that last week's show was tying into the political process. And could you ask the rabbi how he sees moral failings and leadership in in the current political environment? Now, it's a little bit unfair to you, Rabbi, because you weren't on last week's show, but both last week and the week before, when we had your brother, uh, Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson, on, we were talking about the perils of partisanship. And to build on Zalman's point, one of the issues that I've been trying to get over the last couple of weeks and I think in a certain sense, the framing it as the problem of David may have been a distraction in a certain sense from the underlying point, is that as any person of faith, whether you're in the Jewish faith or any other faith, I think there's a real issue of what we would call in in Judaism, Chilul Hashem, which you can probably help explain. Desecrating God's name. Right. And through actions, appearance, words, whatever you might be doing that may in a certain sense be sending the wrong message to others that may not even understand the complexity of what you were saying or doing at that moment. And there's this concept that, that very deeply concerns me as people of faith when supporting a political candidate of any stripe that has offended, talking about offending people, through their language and their actions, great swaths of people 
are we in a certain sense, you know, committing an act of Hilul Hashem? Are we in a certain sense desecrating a value system or a belief system, even if we don't intend to? Look, you're not mentioning names, but I think it's pretty implicit who you're referring to. Um, uh, but I would say, I would challenge you and say, um, what happens if that individual... Can I interrupt you on that, though, for a second, Rabbi? I apologize. Sure. Of course, Donald Trump is is uh, front and center as a potential example of that. But the issue, I think, stands I, earlier in, in, my political, in my life here in this country with other political leaders that the Jewish community has perceived to have gotten behind or, or the evangelical Christian community has perceived to have gotten behind. I know having lived some time in Europe as well, the issue has come up there. I'm, I'm sure right now if you're supporting you know, the actions of a, of a strong man like a Putin, for example, if you're in that country it's, and you're a person of faith, you, you have the same tension. So this is, this is not something that just came up in 2000, starting in 2016. This is a constant issue right that we face as people of faith that are politically engaged yeah look um but if you want to be fair you made an assumption that this person has offended and uh, as if uh, let's say his opponent has not i look at all the politics as dirty just because jfk had a camelot impression and he was polished and was presidential and knew how to behave externally just because we didn't know what was going on behind the scenes because then the media didn't inter- into, didn't uh, look into people's dalliances and behaviors doesn't mean necessarily that he, wasn't, uh, he had plenty of his own dirty politics, as his father did, for example. So I think we have to begin with a very different premise from my perspective. And I'll get to the Chil Hashem in a moment, which is why are we looking into these people in general, what are you expecting from them? I, I look at all politics as being about power. I don't see it as spiritual. I don't see it as godly. Once in a while, we're lucky and we get someone who also has to have, happens to have some morality. But David was a political leader. David, to me, was, didn't begin with a political leader. He was a man of God first. You know, and, and as a matter of fact, didn't even want to be king. He was this humble man that wanted to just serve God. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't put him in the same category. Okay. As a matter of fact, if you want to talk about politics today, what I would look to the Torah for, what is true leader? What's a true leader? Let's take Moses as the ultimate leader. These are people who are humble. They had only one intention, to serve people and not themselves. Can you tell me a politician you know that doesn't care about his own interests? Can you name one in the last hundred years? I don't think you could. Everyone has self-interest. I don't think that that's even a standard in our society today. And I think it's gotten very, you know, I think if you... I think, if, I think to be fair, there are, you know, I, I think when it comes to morality and politics, it's, it's a little bit like horseshoes. I mean, getting close does matter, or hand grenades. <laughs> and, uh, you know, be, folks like Gandhi, folks like Martin Luther King Jr., you know, I think obviously they had flaws. Uh, we, that, we could do a whole show on, on that. But the, one w- could make an argument that they were men of God first. Uh, and I'll tell you something further. I think even some of our corrupt presidents did perhaps godly acts. Look, the founding fathers, they're lately in the news a lot. They were flawed human beings. They owned slaves. And yet they wrote a constitution that actually undermined their own slave ownership that would ultimately destroy slavery because all people are created equal. So they're a great credit. So I would say... 
in, the, in that case, that though they were flawed human beings, and they themselves were, in a way, hypocrites, they didn't even live by what they themselves wrote. So they convinced themselves that, let's say, blacks weren't human, whatever distortion it was. Mm-hmm. You know, in Judaism, for example, which is the principle all human beings are created in the divine image, black, white, Hispanic, Latino, believer, non-believer. So they put something into the Constitution, and that I do believe has a certain divine truth to it, greater than themselves. So I don't deny That's why, to me, Mr. Trump or Mr. Biden or Obama, Mr. Obama, Mr. Obama or Clinton or anyone you name, I could see them being full of politics and corruption. And you may find out things later that they really did very underhanded things, but it doesn't mean they can't be an agent for good sh- for change and it doesn't mean right rabbi that if it, just because if you're a person of faith and you see that politics in general is is dirty it doesn't mean you can't be engaged and try to opt for the best option that you see on the playing field yeah, especially when you have no alternative <laughs> well there is an alternative which actually the the, the just buddhist practitioner who was on the air last week made i think a valid point that there is a perspective of yeah abstention from the process yeah, okay. he wasn't saying don't vote but i th- i think to, to paraphrase there was a position there of saying listen there is a place in spiritual life sometimes to say that's egotism and, and and as soon as I get involved in that, I'm I'm bringing myself down. Well, I'll, so let me. I want to let's you know. I want to round back to what we began with. So to me, the Chil Hashem is if any Jew or anyone representing God or people think reflects God shouldn't get so immersed in politics and start comparing politicians to Moses because they're not. They didn't. They, that's not who they are. So I think the first thing is not to get too caught up right. in the whole hype. That's and in the, the religious thing. language. And just not, to, you know, like people ask me, who did I endorse? I said, I don't endorse anyone. I have my yeah. opinions right. and I have my thoughts on the matter. That's one point I want to make. And I think that is the best way is I will talk, I, I, I tell people I endorse God. Right. And God will figure out which leaders he will use in what fashion and hopefully they will cooperate. And if you're not endorsing, then you also are avoiding the issue of Chilul Hashem. Or yeah. the appearance no, of but, but, but it's not just avoiding. I think that's the best Kiddush Hashem. The best way to sanctify right. God's name is say, I'm not looking to, I'm not, a, I'm not part of anyone, par, any party. Yeah. I'm looking to figure out what's the best leader who will help this country become a more refined and divine place. Well, on that note, we're going to take our last break and we're going to come back and actually play a little devil's advocacy and take the uh, other side. You'll be right back on equal footing with Rabbi Simon Jacobson. It's everywhere I Equal Footing with Dove Tuzman is sponsored by MDCS Dermatology, your experts in skincare. With two Manhattan locations and four offices in Long Island, including Plainview and Comac, the dermatologists and skincare surgeons at MDCS are proud to be affiliated with the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and New York Presbyterian Hospital. So schedule your next skin exam in one of MDCS's convenient New York area locations. To make an appointment, go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-DERM. That's 212-661-3376. You can even schedule a virtual video visit with MDCS's board-certified dermatologists from the comfort and safety of your own home. So go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-3376. And don't forget to mention Equal Footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures. Quiet, but I'm keeping on, keeping on, checking. 
All right, you're back on Equal Footing. I'm Dove Tuzman. I'm here in the studio with Rabbi Simon Jacobson, one of the world's premier Jewish philosophers and the author of the global bestseller, Toward a Meaningful Life, and the head of the Meaningful Life Center. Rabbi, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show tonight, uh, especially to be here in the studio together. You know, sometimes we're socially distanced for those that are listening that are worried, uh, but we're still in the studio together, and that's that's really uh, that's really special. Rabbi, at the end of our Equal Footing segments, we like to try to do a little bit of a mind bend and take the other point of view. So if you were to advocate that it is okay to openly discuss and debate moral failings or perceived, I should say, moral failings of tzaddikim, a righteous figures in the Bible. How would you advocate that? Is there any position to advocate in which that is a a good thing to do and to challenge oneself with? I'm going to do I'm going to one up you on that. I'll, I'll, I'll define a, a devil's advocate that's even more extreme than the one you're discussing. And I'll tell you why. I actually have a problem doing that because my intellectual honesty, definition of a tzaddik, a true tzaddik, is not capable to have moral failings. So for me to say... A tzaddik okay, is a, a righteous, fully a righteous, righteous person. person who's, let's put it this way, his whole being is aligned with what God wants him to be. That doesn't mean he can't have a shortcoming, but the, 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 the nature of sin as we know it does not apply. So for me, it doesn't fit the devil's advocate. It would be like saying, okay, is Snow White... Can you imagine if snow was black? It's just not black. But I'll give you one. I have another voice. Maybe the voice is this. Who says that these people were so sacred? Why do you, why do you attribute to them some type of like almost superhuman uh, godly power when they're just humans like us? Mm-hmm. That, that position I'm ready to present. And that's the position really where one would say, okay, the Torah is a nice book of inspiration written by intelligent people, but you know what? Uh, yeah, maybe divinely inspired, but so was the Constitution, and so was Shakespeare, and so was Mozart. And it doesn't necessarily have any, this type of absolute truth. Many of the ideas in the Torah happen to also be quite archaic. Right. And we you come know? back to your initial point around that it has to be in context, it has to be with interpretation for it to be truly understood. Okay. So from that devil's advocate perspective, and I, I can tell you, being a skeptic by nature, I do have a voice like that within me that's much more of a, that's much more of a skeptic. But then I have to choose. So I happen to choose the other option. But there is, of course, there's a case to be made. Just like there's a case to be made that God exists, someone can make it a case that God doesn't exist. And I'm not afraid of going there, just for the record. Rabbi, I love that you're not afraid of going on any, on these topics. Please listen to Rabbi Jacobson each Wednesday night. Uh, he broadcasts from the Meaningful Life Center. Rabbi, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. My guest, Simon Jacobson, will be back next week on Equal Footing. Stay calm. Stay safe. God bless. Your faith was strong, but you needed proof. You saw her bathing.